Welcome back to Courageous Conversations, a podcast of inspiring insights for executives and leaders. Professor Jonathan Passmore is a UK-based chartered psychologist and accredited coach and supervisor. He has no less than five degrees, including an MBA and doctorate in occupational psychology. He holds professorship titles at the University of Reading, UK, and the University of Evora in, in Portugal. He's published coaching technical reports and over 100 scientific papers and book chapters, and presented at over 250 conference, conferences around the world. You've consulted at various places, including PwC, IBM, um, and Coach Hub, and also served as the chair of the European University uh, Coaching Network. And also several international awards, including the Association for Coaching Global Award in 2010, the British Psychological Society Coaching Research Award, and the Association for Business Psychology Chairman's Award for Excellence. Wow. Jonathan, what an impressive bio. We couldn't be talking to anyone more qualified uh, than you to give us uh, some insights into AI and its impact in coaching and in, in the organizational world. So thank you for joining us. Welcome. Louise, it's a pleasure. Why don't we kick off with just lay the, what's the lay of the land? Can you give us an overview of the current coaching landscape when it comes to AI? What's happening out there? Well, there's lots of change, and I think that there is a lot of excitement. We've certainly seen with the emergence of chat GPT around Christmas 2022, and then playing through the early months of 2023, what it described as quite a lot of froth, lots of excitement, lots of heady discussion about how AI is going to revolutionize the world. And I'm sure it will have a dramatic and profound effect on the world of work and the world of coaching. But we're not seeing as yet how that's going to play out. Of course, the future is always uncertain. And while we've got a tool in terms of ChatGPT and other providers, Bard, for example, have got their own uh, AI tools that we can use as search engines, as discovery tools, and these have been translated into conversational tools. So we've seen a number of providers launching coaching AI or conversational uh, AI tools. We've seen them in therapy and we've seen them in coaching. Really, these are just the very first steps on what will be a tremendous mounting that will revolutionize pretty much every knowledge worker's job over the next 25 years. Yeah, it's uh, pretty significant. And everybody, of course, is talking about it. And I'm wondering, I mean, you've mentioned some of the applications and what's happening out there. What is your sense of the most advanced applications that are already out there when it comes to coaching and AI? Well, we can look at some products and you, there are some to, to check out. Um, Nikki Treblanche in South Africa, who, Louise, you might know well, is doing some fantastic work with his own product, uh, Vici, 
that's definitely one for people to go and have a look at. Uh, Evouch in Germany are doing some very interesting work with their own products. And what they're starting to do, which is quite an interesting innovation, is an offer to collaborate with coaches, to help coaches who want to use AI to complement human coaching. And I can see that being a successful route for the application of AI uh, in coaching. We've got CoachUp, who have produced Amy as a chatbot. We have got Ezra, who I work for, uh, who have produced a AI nudge tool called Kai. And there are a variety of other products that are out there in the marketplace, um, some of which are more developed than others, but probably the ones that I've described are at the cutting edge. What we're likely to see over the next six or nine months is some of the larger tech providers begin to bring onto the marketplace, probably as free offerings, possibly as charge offerings, no details as yet, but seeing the opportunity really to harness the AI technology to complement their own products. So I hear conversations, we're talking uh, in September, but I'm hearing at the moment conversations about how Microsoft, how Google, how LinkedIn might be using AI conversational tools to complement their own products whether that's Microsoft Office Suite, whether that's LinkedIn supporting individuals with their careers. But I can see that as being a very logical step for many of these big tech firms who will leverage AI to help people engage in the moment, in the flow of work, in reflective conversations, in problem-solving conversations. Now, one of the things I think it's important for coaches not to worry about is that these are not replacements for us as the human coach. I think that these are useful tools, the ones that I've described earlier, and these tools that could be emerging during 2023 or in the first half of 2024 are likely to be short conversational tools that might help you with a very specific problem, likely to be a three, five or seven minute chat-based conversation. Now for us as professional coaches, more typically, we're doing 45 minutes, 55 minutes, 90 minute face to face conversations where we're going deep, we're empathizing, we're exploring patterns and themes. And I think AI technology, while many people worry they're about to be replaced, that isn't going to happen anytime this year and probably not next year. And that allows us as human coaches to start thinking about what do we do? to ensure that we provide as human coaches added value to our clients and differentiate ourselves from that technology that's beginning to emerge. And there are ways that I'm sure, Louise, we're going to explore on this call that we can start to do that. Perfect lead into the very question that you're asking, you know, this whole human versus AI and, and it's not necessarily versus is what I'm hearing you say. It's actually at this point in time, certainly a complementary process. And we need to be looking at uh, it that way. But tell me a little bit more about how you see that progressing over time. Well, let me start by talking about GPT. And we could apply this to some of the other tools at the moment. So a few tests, there's a paper that I published on my personal website came out in the past couple of weeks. So people who are listening to this recording or listening live to go and check this out. The paper's called The Library of Babel. It's on jonathanpassmore.com. It's free, or you can go and just Google uh, search 
this particular journal, it's Open Access, uh, the Journal of Applied Work Management. So people are going to have a read of this. And what we did is ran a series of tests using uh, GPT. First of all, we ran GPT 3.5 chat, and then we ran them or re-ran them on four. First ones were comparing GPT output and to see whether it would achieve ICF coaching standards. And we gave it as a blind test to uh, a marker who was experienced as a master coach in marking ACC, PCC and MCC submissions. And good news for us as professional coaches, it failed to achieve an ACC standard. And the view from the marker who didn't know that it was an output, they just thought it was a transcript, didn't know it was an output from a, an AI. They said it was too mechanical, failed to show empathy, failed to have sufficient in-depth reflective questions. So we've got a differentiator already for us. The other thing that we uh, explored in relation to this research project is the quality of the material that it was able to synthesize from the knowledge that it had built up in its, its period of learning. And what we found was, uh, we then asked it a series of coaching-based questions as if it was a student on a coaching course. So to def uh, we asked it to define coaching. We asked it about the ICF code of ethics. We asked it about uh, knowledge in relation to coaching research. And it produced answers for us. We then submitted to coaching program directors, again, blind, so they didn't know it was AI output, and asked them to mark it as if it was an exam script. Now, the worrying thing was, certainly for universities, is that in the main, the outputs passed at a very minimal level. So they AI was able to scrape through a pass, but a more detailed examination revealed that it was making up many of its answers. So it might be citing or quoting a piece of research, but when you searched for that piece of research, in other words, did that research actually exist? Did this knowledge that it was citing, was that true? It wasn't. AI was lying to us. And that's very worrying that this knowledge is being generated. Students in universities probably this afternoon uh, are out there getting their essay answers for the weekend. I won't spend six hours writing this essay. Type it into chat GPT. Thank you very much indeed. Cut, paste, job done. Unfortunately, what they're producing may not be accurate or true. And of course, when that then gets subsequently reproduced, used by journalists, used by researchers, published on a blog, then that becomes part of our knowledge canon. It gets repeated. So what we're starting to seed into our knowledge base is lies, deceits, and false references. It's very worrying. And we need to make sure, and this was our advice in the paper, that individuals who are using AI, it's a great tool but we need to verify and check the information before we put our name to it or pretend that it's our work. Or alternatively, make clear that it's AI content and we cannot verify its truth. And what we saw in the United States, there was a lawyer who used this information, uh, found out that it was false uh, during a court hearing, has been barred. We've also seen other examples of false statements where individuals have been embarrassed as a result of using AI-generated content. So we need to be super careful in the way that we're using this. And this shows that we are still in those foothills. Of course, over the coming year and years, AI will continue to improve in the quality of the content that it provides, but the responsibility rests with us. And now turning to that wider issue of 
how we might be beginning to leverage this in terms of our own work, then I think we as coaches could use it as a compliment. And that's certainly our view uh, at Ezra, um, using it as a nudging tool to help individuals engage in intersessional activities, homework, the things that coaches might recommend people do between sessions. So it just acts as a little, little reminder and then might ask them a reflective question. We might also be using it in a variety of ways as a complement to ourselves. We could say, for example, working with a vouch, build a little chatbot that has a, an intersessional coaching activity, like a mini coaching conversation that encourages the person to reflect on how they're doing with the homework before we connect with them. Because as humans, we might have limited availability. It might be a couple of weeks or even a month before we check in with that particular client. So having a bot that just acts as a little reminder, a little tool that helps them to reflect can be a useful strategy complementing the work that we do as humans. But at the moment, my view is that we're not immediately threatened. We're not about to be immediately replaced, but we shouldn't underestimate AI, but we should make sure that anytime that we're using it, we're checking the ethical practices and the quality of the work that it's producing in our name. Mm. And you're raising such a fascinating point there that it's, you know, creating a whole uh, ecosystem of, of fake news and false information, right? And so I, I've got quite an interesting question for you around how in the coaching world, in your exposure to, to different uh, companies who are busy building this, how are we teaching GPT, AI, these learning language models to coach? What's the, the technical process for those of us who don't know to help AI get better at this? So the, the work that AI does, it's harvested a whole set of generic data. It's not currently specialist. And what one can do uh, with access to the code is to put in place a series of prompts that move it away from giving advice to move it more towards asking open questions. The evidence and the conversations and the trials that I've been experiencing trying to do this suggests that actually keeping the ChatGPT style AI tools focused in asking open questions and away from advice is pretty tricky. It sort of loses its way after a while. It, it loses the motivation to stay engaged with a curious mindset and reverts back to its style of giving advice, giving instructions. So there are difficulties even when we get access to the code to be able to prompt it in a particular direction. But this will start to change as the learning access the content that we're teaching it becomes more coach-like. So we might then have the opportunity to provide with it, but this is down to us as coaches. Do we want to do that? To share all of our knowledge. Do we want to hand over our coaching conversations? We record 50, 150, 150,000 coaching conversations, and we pass that across to ChatGPT. Uh, and I'm sure that there are providers out there who are thinking, yeah, how could I get my hands on a uh, hundred or 150,000 coaching conversations and use that as the canon to pass on to a learning algorithm. And once it's observed, once it's got that, it's doing is what's predicting what the next word is. So with enough data, enough learning, it can act in a very similar way to a human coach. But acting in a similar way to a human coach and being a human coach 
are two different things. Uh, I saw this week a, uh, a lovely video that was shared on LinkedIn of a new product, which was a effectively a four-legged animal that was able to move around, go upstairs, go downstairs, move its head, in all intents and purposes, looked like a dog, moved like a dog. But was it a dog? No. Would I want to cuddle up with it on the sofa? No, I wouldn't. Would I want to have or would I care about in an intimate way, in the way that I might do with my dog? It's the same in terms of coaching. There is a special connection of one human being to another. And while an algorithm can, can engage with a human to help them to reflect, it's different from one human being connected to another. And I come into that question I posed earlier, and maybe we're going to go and explore that aspect about the intimacy of one human connecting with another human is where we will always be able to differentiate ourselves and where we need to amplify that human connection in the coaching that we do. You know, separate point, you you raise in a lot of your uh, articles the question of the ethics and the regulations around uh, AI in coaching. And I wonder if we can talk a little bit about that, because this is quite a, a tricky issue, isn't it? Uh, it? It's a very interesting issue for it to explore. And let me just pick up the challenge that you rightly put, because that is an ethical question, too, about mm. access and quality. You could mount an argument to say, everybody should have equal access to all coaches. Everybody should be able to get Marshall Goldsmith as their coach because he's fabulous and he's the best coach in the world and couldn't he provide coaching to everybody? The reality is that different people have got different needs. So Marshall might be the best coach in the world, but he might not be the best coach for everybody in the world. There's a second question as well about how one recognises that actually there are disparities in the world. And if we take the example of clothing, and there are some people in the world who have access to the designer cloth, who have somebody comes to their home to measure them, they choose the finest fabrics, made to measure, those clothing is delivered for them and they wear it once and then they wear the next thing. So if you are the King of England uh, or you're the president of a country, maybe, your suits are handmade for you, your dresses and your other clothes are bespoke just for you. Each item might cost £10,000 if you have sufficient wealth. And there are other people on our planet who are buying secondhand clothing or who are buying clothing uh, at markdown prices. So you can buy a T-shirt, very similar. It's a T-shirt, it's a white T-shirt, and you can pay $1,000 for that T-shirt or you can go into a low price store and pay $2.50 for a t-shirt, both clothing. And I think that's where we'll see a fragmentation of the market, a variety of different prices, both t-shirts, both coaching, and all the things in between, all those price points in between, and individuals make their own choices given the ability of what they're able to afford. Of course, we want to make sure that individuals are protected so this is the ethical question about the quality of what's being provided. So if we're saying this is coaching, who's to verify this tool is actually coaching? So that brings in the need for coaching professional bodies to set out digital standards, maybe even to accredit AI tools, 
So you have your coach, which is an AI coach. It sits on your platform or it sits on Google or Microsoft or one of those other big tech firms, but it's recognized, accredited by a professional body. But what it's engaged with is coaching. And secondly, we also think through very carefully the questions about how that protects individuals. So if a client turns up for a conversation and says, I'm feeling really low, I'm thinking about taking my own life. I've been cutting myself last night, so self-harming activities, that that AI app is able to appropriately recognize that and appropriately able to refer the individual to protect that individual's well-being. And we've seen examples already. There's uh, a new story in Belgium of a therapy app where the app colluded with the individual to commit suicide. The person said they wanted to commit suicide. It's reported that that app um, then helped the person to plan their own suicide. Now, we need to prevent that. We are still in those foothills. Uh, we still don't know and predict fully how these algorithms are going to play out. But as we learn more, we need to be putting in safeguards. A third issue is about the information that we release. And I think this is the biggest concern to organizations. So if you engage a AI coaching app and you reveal information to it, that's a learning algorithm. It's learning from everything you say. So you reveal that your share price um, has fallen as a result of some issue. It learns that piece of information. If you reveal that there's an internal scandal that you're covering up in your organization, you're trying to plan how you best manage that, it learns from what you're saying. Where does that information go? Where will it be repeated next time? So any information that a manager shares with the AI app, because the very nature is it's a learning tool, it learns from what's being said, where's that going to go? How do we know this is truly a confidential conversation? How do we put a gateway or a barrier around the information that we share? And at the moment, there is insufficient clarity around the aspects of confidentiality. And for me, this is a real concern. And I think last of all, in terms of governments, governments need to be starting to think very carefully around AI, not just its application in coaching or its application in organizations, but in our wider lives and how we ensure that AI continues to act as a servant to us as humanity and that our management of these apps going forward in the next three, five, seven, 25 years ensures that we as humans always stay the master and that we do not risk becoming the servant of these tools. And I guess an extension of the ethics, teaching at ethics and morals, we were speaking a little bit earlier about uh, its inability to really match that human connection. It doesn't have the empathy, that playfulness. I think in one of your papers, you were talking about those nuances that we have as humans in our personalities. What, you know, the Nikki Terblanches of the world uh, who are busy looking at this, what are they doing to teach that empathy and that emotional intelligence side of things, teach AI skills? Is anything happening? I, I don't know. You'd need to ask Nikki and some of the others who are building these super uh, clever tools. Uh, I don't think, even though they're able to feed in a thousand mm. or ten thousand conversations, humor happens in the moment. Creativity mm. is unique 
It's not repeating what something else has happened in the past. So just as an example, this is, I've only got three jokes in my repertoire. Uh, as we were chatting earlier, Louise, here, here's the second one. Um, a, a, an AI algorithm walks into a bar and the bartender says, hi, what are you having tonight? And the AI algorithm looks around the bar and says, what's everybody else having? All it wants to do is copy what the most frequent things that other people are doing. And unique, innovative, creative people, Mozart, Monet, bring something fresh and perspective uh, to reinvent their particular area. Master coaches do the same. They fuse solution focus, cognitive behavioral. They bring their own playfulness and their quirky sense of humor that an AI app isn't able now, maybe in the future, could replicate, but it's uniquely them. And I think that's a distinctive feature that we're able to do. And also people build relationships with other people. We, most people will not be building a relationship with a machine. And if you were to give advice to all of the coaches who are listening and will listen to this conversation, with the emergence of AI, what would your advice be to them in terms of how they develop their skills, competencies, and make sure that they've still got a job in 10 years' time? That's a great question, Louise. And I think a commitment to continuous professional development will always ensure that people stay at the forefront of the field. So staying curious, staying in a learning mindset and in a growth mindset. So engaging in webinars such as this so you're picking up the latest information engaging in reading books commit yourself to read one coaching book a month read articles lots of colleagues myself included post on linkedin if colleagues on the call or who are listening to this afterwards want to connect to me on linkedin really delighted i post most of my research for free so reading coaching research and as people learn about the science continue to stay up with practice that means that they stay in the front 10% rather than the middle of the pack. And of course, we know that the people at the back of the pack are the people who are going to fall off the conveyor belt first. So stay at the front, stay leading on the foot, uh, stay on a leading foot uh, and help you to keep up to date will mean that people are more likely to succeed. And the other thing that I would say is the benefits of supervision, engaging in reflective practice, having a supervisor, getting someone to talk through the challenges, issues and dilemmas that you have as you continue to grow and develop as a coach. With those two things in place, people can continue to grow and become the best coach that they can possibly be.